we're sending money out of Syracuse and not just for 30 years, for the rest of their life. But when you are told that there's a promise that your generation will be better than the previous generation, and we're seeing that the statistics tells us that that's not the case, it's evidently clear that it only is going to change if we are going to be the ones who fight for our future. So we want to put in context because it's not just a class issue, it's a race issue. We're telling black and brown people and poor people, you don't matter. Welcome to Afro Futures. On today's episode, you will be hearing from Huey Stonefish, who is a comedian, a songwriter, um, but Huey is an Emmy Award winner um, for outstanding original song for a song that he co-wrote called The Bad Guys, which we'll talk about today. He is originally from Janesville, Do It, which is a suburb of Syracuse. He's a finalist on Bring the Funny, um, and he's just an all-around good dude. So we're gonna have a really important conversation about solidarity, um, about kind of shared oppressions, but we really just want to get to know you first, Huey. So let's let's start with, you know, where you're from. And I mean, I said that you're from Janesville, do it, but for folks who don't know about Janesville, give us a little insight into Janesville. Thank you so much for having me on here. I'm, I'm really happy to be here. And uh, for everyone listening, I'm sure we all, you know, know about Yusuf and, and what an amazing person you are. And I was so honored to, to be here because I saw you on my Instagram feed, you know, last year being like, wow, this person's amazing. What a, what a, you know, brilliant speaker. And then I was like, oh my God, he's in Syracuse. I have to reach out. And then a month later, you're like, hey, I'm going through all my DMs. Uh, thank you so much for reaching out. And so I, I really feel blessed to be here. I will send a um, check in the mail for that for those. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, but yeah, I grew up, you know, in a suburb of Syracuse in a very, very, uh, you know, I guess you might call it a socioeconomically upper middle class town at a school where I had lots of arts education. And um, I was in bands since I was a, in a freshman in high school and I played all around the city and I had arts education and after school programming and. Um, it was really, uh, for me, you know, a wonderful place to grow up. And before that, in elementary school, I had a, went to the Syracuse Hebrew Day School where I really had a really strong foundation in Jewish learning. You know, it, it, it's, it's actually, um, it's interesting that you talk about do it in the way that you do. Because, you know, I, I grew up, I, I'm from New York City, I'm from the Bronx, and I went to middle and high school in the suburbs of New York City. And it, it's a it's a contrast because the Bronx, like Syracuse, has high levels of concentrated poverty and hyper, uh, you know, significant challenges um, to this day. And Syracuse is like that. But if you go just a few, you know, miles outside of the Bronx and Syracuse, you kind of have this really stark contrast. And for folks who may not know, Onondaga County, where Syracuse and Dewitt. Uh, in Janesville are located, um, it is the ninth most segregated county in the country. So on one hand, you have really a lot of the the, the benefits to suburban living, right? The the kind of goals of American the American dream, and and amazing schools, right? Amazing resources, amazing homes, and it's just it, Janesville and Dewitt, uh, Fayetteville and Manlius, the suburbs around Syracuse are just some of the most beautiful places that you'll get to see. Um, and, then, and then you have Syracuse in it, and, and it's not that Syracuse isn't also beautiful because there are so many uh, amazing neighborhoods and so many, um, you know, great parts of the city, but there is, there is a big difference. And so as you've kind of 
um, gone through your career, what, what, what are the lessons from this contrast that you've been able to take with you as you kind of go to becoming the Emmy nominee and then award winner? Yeah, you really hit the nail on the head. I mean, and that's and that's uh, so much of the work that I do now is based on this contrast of me growing up in the suburbs and having access to, you know, everything that I could have, have wanted and dreamed of. And then coming to learn that, you know, in 2016, Syracuse, right down the street, literally a five minute drive from where I went to school, had the highest rate of concentrated poverty among black and Hispanic communities in the whole country. And, you know, learning that Syracuse, the city is has been in the top 20 poorest cities in the nation, you know, however many years running. And so my brother and I have a nonprofit program called the Arts Project Syracuse, where we are bringing transformative arts education to kids in Syracuse. And that's directly because we grew up five, 10 minutes outside of the city and had the most robust arts education enough that allowed me to see a life for myself in the arts and seeing that just down the street, um, you know, there's there's so much of the opposite. Uh, so that's a, that's a lot of the work that I, I do now and dedicate myself to is based on this, you know, the fact that I was able to grow up, have no idea what was going on right down the street for me. Um, and then as I got older uh, and my worldview expanded, understanding how much of a difference 10 minutes could make for no reason really, I mean, for lots of reasons, but no reasons that, that I can justify. And the kind of relationship uh, that is to the to that that video is, is it, it, it really kind of points at the way that we, as a society, have both divide, divided communities in such stark ways that have enabled us, in many respects, to not even actually see the, the challenges that people are experiencing 10 or so minutes away, um, but, but give us the the the, the recognition um, that's necessary to 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 as as we do get that expanded worldview to to say hey I've got to put my hat in the ring to kind of address some of these issues I can't just be a, a bystander kind of on the outskirts just watching in and and so before we before we get more into um, you know all that your your arts project does and what you and your brother are doing I just I gotta, you know, just ask one because of, you know, we're about the same age, um, and, um, you know, one of my favorite comedian kind of actors is Will Ferrell, and, um, you know, you've you've gotten the chance to to kind of connect with those folks, and and um, if I'm not mistaken, you know, do work with Jason Alexander, and for those who have been living under a shell for the last thirty or so years, uh, you know, was was George from Seinfeld and so, you know, and, and several other different uh, roles throughout the years. And, and you've gotten the chance to kind of see what, like, you know, what your potential could be, right? A, a kid who, who, who had dreams and was an artist and not a lot of folks um, are able to get there. So what, what is that ride like as well? And, 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 you know, you don't have to give us the dirt on Jason or, or others, but you know, <laughs> what, what, what is the scoop on, on these individuals? Cool. Thank you. I appreciate that. Yeah, it's, it really has been a wild ride. Uh, like you said, you know, I'm I'm from out here. I'm sitting in my parents' home right now. Um, so to, the contrast is really, really uh, stark and amazing. And I feel very, very grateful for everything I've been able to do. I went to school in Boston. I got a degree, a bachelor's of music and songwriting. And um, I thought I was going to stay in Boston. And then I moved out to Los Angeles. And I've been I was working at a comedy school called The Second City for about seven years. And there I got to meet a lot of amazing people. And through that 
through being at the Second City and learning how to music direct for comedy shows and play piano for comedy shows and direct and act and improvise and teach improv. I got to perform with Keegan-Michael Key, Jim Belushi, um, Mary Beth Von Moreau, you know, Quinta, uh, all these amazing, amazing people that I just <laughs> grew up idolizing and still, you know, look up to to this day. And so to take that step of going from, you know, these are my heroes to being like, oh, now these are my peers and they're still my heroes um, is very, very cool. <laughs> I don't really know how else No, to no, cool. it is. And when it happens, I'm like, this is so freaking cool. I cannot believe what's happening right now. <laughs> it's, a, it's a surreal journey, right? It, it's, 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 yes. it's not, I mean, of course, like we dream and we, we imagine getting ourselves to those points, but you know, when, when you get there, you're like, wow, I didn't think it was going to be this. Um, and so that, yeah. that's pretty that's pretty cool. But, you know, beyond the the, the cachet, the kind of um, excitement of really getting to meet some of the some of the funniest people, you know, your, your art and your your work and your comedy is also like with a purpose. Right. Not to suggest yeah. that all comedy or or, or, or all entertainment. Um, has to yeah. have a, a, a mission or what have you, but yours does, and 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 yeah. you know it, it, it is quite appropriate, especially now, um, because you think through the way that um, that narratives about Jewish people and narratives about Black people have really developed um, a perspective that we have acculturated ourselves to being accustomed to, and and in that meaning. Yeah. You know, looking at the Jewish people in a particular stereotypical way, and that becoming people's you know perspectives and the way that they treat Jewish people, and you look yeah. at the kind of parallel to um, the way that people view and think about Black people based on those kind of stereotypes. I, the way I, I often talk about it is is you know one of the first motion pictures, like popular, the thing that kind of one of the things that made Hollywood Hollywood was a film mm -hmm. called The Birth of a Nation. Mm -hmm. And you know, that like radically changed motion pictures as as a as a yeah. as a craft, as a like it itself literally has changed the ability to do motion pictures. But it also like is quite fitting that the introductory like world stage of, of motion picture making is a motion picture about the perspective of a villainous black man who's gonna come to defile this pure white woman, right? So, and the need for the the, the army, the, the KKK to be defenders of white yeah. purity, right? And so these narratives are then shoot throughout history. They're played in media, they're played on the news, they're played in popular culture, and they then manifest themselves in the way that people interact with those communities. And the same thing has happened historically to the Jewish community in really devastating ways. I just want to give you a chance to talk about anti-Semitism and, and the, the, real, the real need for us to be um, identifying opportunities for solidarity between black communities and, and Jewish communities and the need for us to be vigilant about, about these issues. Thank you. I really, really appreciate you taking the time to, uh, you know, give me a platform to speak about this and for us to speak about it together because you're you're so right. Um, the song that we won the Emmy for was about the history of anti-Semitism in the media and particularly through cartoons. And we were part of a um, a three-piece song series that featured Wayne Brady and Leah Thompson and the other songs looking at the history of sexism, racism, and anti-Semitism through cartoons. And seeing just exactly as you described it, you know, um, I'll speak about uh, anti-Semitism. Um, 
you know, understanding when we have a, a Charlottesville rally of people saying Jews will not replace us. And and for most of us who maybe or many of us who Jews will not replace us, like what? I wasn't thinking that Jews were going to replace anybody. But seeing the history, the lineage of that of that type of thinking and how it gets portrayed in the media um, and anti-Semitism right now is the worst that most Jews my age have ever experienced it. It's it's horrific and things have gotten really, really, really terrible. Um, and, and it is so much based on stereotypes and tropes. And, you know, we talk about blood libel. We talk about this idea throughout history that Jews are these wanting blood from people. They're, they're, they're taking it. They're, they're evil. And so what's interesting about anti-Semitism, and I say interesting because I um, both experience it, but I also study it. And uh, anti-Semitism, part of the way that it works is that it teaches us that Jews are an powerful, evil, uh, manipulative people. And so what happens with anti-Semitism is because that is the stereotype, um, and also in addition, because there are so few Jews in the world, there's about 14 to 16 million Jews in the entire world. So for example, um, you know, Halsey, the, the pop artist, you know, can tweet something that's misinformation about Jews. And there's, she's got more followers than there are Jews in the world. So we have this stereotype that Jews are these sort of evil, money hungry, greedy, manipulative, um, oppressive people. And then the way that anti-Semitism works is to make us feel that Jews are the oppressor. Jews are the man. And so when we find ourselves as a society fighting against Jews, that part of us that says, Hey, isn't this a isn't this a minority people? Might I have some bias against them that I'm not aware of? Where it's more easy for us to push that aside because anti-Semitism is so insidious and it teaches us that we're the oppressors. So it's it's very um, it makes it much easier, I think, uh, or I should say, it makes it easy because it's not in any type of comparison. It makes it um, easy for people to have violence against Jews, have negative thoughts against Jews, because now it almost in some ways it's a it's liberal to fight. We want to fight the man. We want to fight the power. And anti-Semitism makes us believe that Jews. And when I say Jews, I mean, it makes us believe that all Jews are the power and the oppressor. Yeah. You know, I am um, a part of my history is that I, I, as I said in the beginning, I went to middle school and high school in Rockland County. Um, and there were I worked and volunteered and tutored at Finkelstein Memorial Library. And it's called mm. Finkelstein Memorial Library because a lot of the people who lived in Spring Valley or um, the in Muncie or the communities that I went to middle and high school, a lot of the people who lived there were either the children of Holocaust survivors or themselves Holocaust survivors. So I spent a lot of my yeah. um, middle and high school years both um, like learning about Jewry, learning about, um, you know, the experiences of Jewish people, learning about the Holocaust. Um, and, and I mean, I, I, mean I, I would probably argue that uh, if, if <laughs> I could probably be what some would refer to as a Shabbos Goy. And, and for those who may not know what a Shabbos <laughs> Goy is, it's like the person who opens the door for people who are, who are practicing and, and on, on the Sabbath, um, depending on one's level of religiosity, certain level of work is, is prohibited from being done. And so Shabbos Goy kind of assists in that context. So I was, I was I had such strong relationships with Jewish people growing up, um, both because of where I went to middle and high school 
and then coming to Syracuse University, um, post 9-11, it created a kind of additional level of synergy between anti-black animus, mm. anti-Semitism, and Islamophobia. And you know, mm -hmm. all of these exist as ecosystems of kind of perpetuating white heteronormative Christian ableist male dominance, right? So that was yep. a mouth sore for folks, but but effectively all of these um, isms, if you will, exist because the, the, the orientation of society is towards denying us the ability to kind of have equal protection under law um, in, in, in furtherance of this vision <clears throat> of a, a kind of a, 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 as we're seeing manifest both J January 6th and throughout Trump's presidency and even before and beyond, this idea that America is designed to be a white, male, Christian-dominated country and the hell to the rest of us. And so there's not just this anti-black um, animus relationship or uh, the stereotypes that come from that um, that connects with you know, anti-Semitism, but there's also, we, as we see the rise in anti-Semitism, as we see the rise in anti-Asian hate, as we see the rise in uh, anti-black animus, um, we also see the rise in Islamophobia. And, you know, mm -hmm. I'm always interested in trying to build communities across communities because I think it's, if we all can get that, like, we are all collectively being oppressed by the system, then perhaps we can right. identify opportunities. But w what about last summer um, brought you to wanting to be doing more? You know, I mean, whether it's talking yeah. about anti-Semitism or Islamophobia, I mean, you talk about them, right? So, what what brought you there? Right. Yeah, and I and I really do appreciate what you say about you know it's so important that we look at who what are the system who who benefits when we're fighting with each other, you know. And as we talk about Jewish and Black solidarity, especially you know knowing that there is such a powerful history of Jewish and Black solidarity, you know, we look at who spoke before you know Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Before as I have a dream teacher, he was a rabbi, you know. And we mm -hmm. talked to. I was fortunate to listen to, you know, Dr. Clarence Jones um, and him speak about, you know, the beautiful solidarity between black and Jewish people. And of course, acknowledging that there are black and Jewish people as well. Um, and looking at, you know, the history of our country and, and, and saying who, you know, someone benefits when we're fighting with each other. Mm -hmm. It's not it's not it's not me. You know, it's not you. It's not it's not our groups. It's, but there is someone benefiting when when we're fighting with each other. Um, but as it relates to, you know, this summer, this this uh, this idea of you know systemic oppression and uh, all of the ways that our country has been built to keep um, people down, specifically you know people of color in this country and specifically black people, um, those are concepts that, as I left Syracuse or Dewitt or whatever, and I you know what came to Los Angeles and and diversified um, you know myself and my understanding and was fortunate to to meet amazing people and learn from people these are these are things that um we had been speaking of so i had a show that ran at the second city with my dear friend Dwayne colbert who actually brought me into the project that we won an emmy for he's a black man um, and we did a show called afros and Aspirants, which was looking at the history <laughs> of relations between black people and the police in this country um, and it was a comedy. It was a musical comedy. And, you know, it was a comedy because we felt that the best way to talk about hard topics, this is what I won the Emmy for, is to make people laugh. Because you can actually say some real stuff mm -hmm. if, as soon as you're done saying it, you make people laugh. All of a sudden, 
you're like, okay, you know what? I can actually process what I just heard rather than sitting in a theater for two hours and just being told all the terrible things about our country. So we, that was in 2016 and that was um, a year and a half sold out run. Um, and that was a, you know, a really powerful process for me of learning and educating myself. And so when this past summer happened, um, for me, it was a, uh, a profound continuation of the learning that I had been already doing and the education that I had been trying to give myself and also trying to proliferate um, amongst other people. And really what happened was, you know, there were a lot of protests, especially in L.A., Hollywood, downtown L.A. Um, there were things happening, you know, right down the street from us. And I really wanted to go out and be out there in my close friends and family um, in Los Angeles. Uh, they they just they didn't want me necessarily going out there and, and, and not being safe, especially with COVID. So so the, the main impact for me um, as it relates to me personally was finding out how do I do activism in a way that actually affects change and in a way that that keeps me and the people that I love safe and it actually has impact. And so this year, my whole goal was let's actually have tangible impact. And that's a lot of where, you know, the nonprofit I've been working in, we did a music video project in Syracuse called Welcome to Syracuse, where we celebrated diversity, highlighted amazing people making amazing change and built bridges between communities in Syracuse and the greater Onondaga County region. And that was in 2018. So the work I've been doing in Syracuse, you know, the things I'm passionate about, that didn't start this past summer, but this summer was my opportunity to say, okay, you know, I, I watched a rally and or I was walking down the street and there was some, you know, uh, white woman sitting out of her sunroof with a sign that said Black Lives Matter. And she was like taking pictures and yelling. And, and I was like, okay, cool. Like there's amazing power in getting on the streets and marching that is so powerful and that is so necessary and so important to do. And if I'm out there on the streets marching, is that having the type of tangible effect that I could be having as if I'm home, having a meeting with someone in Syracuse about bringing arts to them and actually taking tangible next steps to go try to affect some of the same issues that that allow us to have a corrupt um, you know, policing system and that allow us to um, so, so disproportionately target black people in our country um, and so that was a lot of what this summer was for me was how do i make tangible impact and and lately when i'm seeing things going on in our country that are so disgusting and terrible you know the way that i focus myself is what can i do in syracuse because that's a place that i can actually affect change so in, in the last few moments that we have it's important for us to get to really a topic that i think is so essential especially now as People are getting to the streets and organizing, um, and as Black Lives Matter activists uh, are identifying kind of liberation struggles around the world, and in fact, we even had a show about it here on After Futures, there is a sense of identifying solidarity with Jewish communities, but also with Palestinian communities. And the kind of meta-narrative that we have is that like one can't be understanding of the plight of Palestinian peoples while also um, not recognizing the plight of Jewish peoples, that there's this kind of cognitive dissonance between being pro-Palestine, which necessarily means that one has to be anti-Semitic. And I think we ought to be very careful about um, how we think through and talk about supporting Palestinian struggle, and I do. I mean, I've, in fact, the next thing I was gonna say, going from Spring Valley and middle of high school in the suburbs of Rockland to Syracuse University, we spent 
my almost my entire undergraduate career between Muslims and, and, and Jews, both through the Muslim Student Association and Halil, talking about Israel-Palestine and identifying both synergies between anti-blackness, Islamophobia, anti-Semitism, but also the need to think through and think about what, these, what this means for Palestine and Palestinian people. Um, and as, as these issues continue to get front and center, I've reached back to and, and have had some friends from college reach back to me, Jewish friends, talking about you know, those conversations and the ways that that has helped them understand um, their Jewish identity, help them understand the Palestinian struggle and just come with a more um, rounded out perspective. And for us, the Muslim community, it also has helped identify you know, that, that we, we really um, can be pro-Palestine without being anti-Semitic. So I just want to get your thoughts and takes on those issues in the few moments that we have left. Thank you. I appreciate you, you know, having this conversation and coming from a place of, I know there is a way to, to, to be pro-Palestinian and not be anti-Semitic because, because there really truly is, you know, unfortunately in, in today's discourse a lot of that does does get left out so i appreciate you you know taking the time to, to speak about that especially as an ally to to the jewish community as a person who is active in speaking on behalf of marginalized communities you know myself and also as a person who is i'm both a member of a marginalized community by being a jew and i'm also a member of a you know majority oppressive community by being a white man um, in america and so it is a very important time. And uh, something that I, I do see, uh, there's a few things that I've noticed that get left out of the discourse that I think really actively lead to, to anti-Semitism. And one of the things that I see getting left out of the discourse is this idea that everyone in Israel and everyone who benefits from Israel um, looks like me. You know, and so for those of y'all who aren't gonna go check me out on Instagram, you know, like I said, I'm I'm a I'm a white man, you know. You might look at me, and Jews always know that I'm Jewish, because um, I have what some of us might consider, you know, Ashkenazi features. But you mm -hmm. might just look at me and say, oh, "That's a white guy." Um, and so the reality is, Israel has been a haven and a home for Jews from all across the world who have been who have been truly ethnically cleansed from the land that they live in. And there are Jews from Ethiopia, from Iraq, from Iran, from Tunisia, from everywhere across the world that have found refuge in Israel. And so when we don't have an understanding of the plight of Jewish people across history, and, and I've, I made a video on this when, when everything started getting really bad as it relates to Sheikh Jarrah, um, trying to educate people and inform them, hey, it wasn't just, there, there's sort of a narrative because of course we never truly understand with you know our American education system, but the, the deepness and the depth at which hate truly reveals itself. But you know, in short, the plight of oppression of Jewish people throughout time has been we existed and people tried to um, murder all of us. And so when the Holocaust happened, I think that the narrative of the Holocaust is all of a sudden in Germany, you know, the, the Nazis turned everyone against the Jews. And that's not how it happened. That's, that's, it doesn't happen in a vacuum. It happened because in every country that we were in, people were killing us and murdering us. And so when, you know, Hitler came around and was like, hey, everybody, we all hate the Jews, right? Let's kill them. Everybody was like, cool, we've already been doing that. Now we have a name for it. And now it's more socially acceptable. And so that does not excuse the Israeli government from doing terrible things to Palestinians. That, that is not an excuse to go do terrible things to other people. It is a 
lens through which we can understand the importance of Israel to the Jewish people as the only Jewish state, as the only place that Jews cannot be kicked out of, as we have been kicked out of every other country we've lived in. So that's one of the things that I see is a misunderstanding of the importance of Israel and also a, um, a whitewashing of Jewish people all over the world. Um, and so as it relates to the Israel-Palestine conflict, you know, I am someone who believes that Jewish people uh, have a right to self-determine in their ancestral homeland, period. And what happens is people take that understanding and say, oh, well, Huey is, you know, what, what we would call a Zionist. And that means that he thinks other people shouldn't live there, too. And that's not the case. And that's where we have some disconnect. I believe Palestinians should have a right to liberation. I believe Palestinians should have a right to freedom. And I also believe that Jews should have that. And so, so often, especially as we look through the lens of anti-Semitism and understand that anti-Semitism seeks to demonize Jewish people and to make us power hungry, murderers, manipulators. And then we put that focus on Israel and we think about how much focus we have on Israel um, as compared to uh, the concentration camps that are happening in China or the other terrible atrocities or things that America is doing or even how messed up the city of Syracuse is by our own government. You know, and we start to see, OK, let's fight for the, the liberation of Palestinian people and let's recognize that there's an Israeli government that is doing this. It's not the Jewish people. It's the Israeli government, just as our American government is doing terrible things. And yeah, there are fringe groups of Israelis and there are fringe groups of Jews who are racist and terrible, and I condemn them. But that's that's part of my what I've observed as someone who cares about freedom and, and liberation for people and also is a proud Jew um, who believes we should have our own self-determination. No, super important. And, and the last thing I'll say to this is that one of the other false narratives that we get is that, you know, these people have been fighting for 2,000 years, they'll never be able to have peace, and, and that's actually not true, you know, like, the, you know, whether yes. it was in Spain, Andal Andalusia for hundreds of years, or in Turkey, or other places throughout history, you know, Muslims and Jews and Christians have coexisted and lived peacefully together. Um, and so when we give yes. this idea that fighting is all that will ever happen, it, 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 makes it, it's, it makes it easy for us to deny peace as a possibility and just accept the status quo. Yes. Um, major takeaway is that there is a distinction between uh, what the Israeli government does and what Jewish people are and, and feel and believe. And, and we as folks who are looking towards liberation, as by the way, do the Palestinians who, who actively say anti-Semitism is not our call, right? Like this is not our thing. Um, yeah. We want to be able to exist. Yeah. So I want to thank you for your time, Huey. It's been super, super exciting to, to get to connect with you. Can you tell folks where they can learn a little bit about your work in Syracuse? What's your website? Yes, absolutely. And thank you so much for having me. It really was an honor to be on here. So our nonprofit program is The Arts Project Syracuse. And you can find me, Huey Stonefish, H-U-G-H-I-E, Stonefish, everywhere. Thank you. You have been listening to Yusuf and Huey Stonefish on Afrofutures. Hopefully you enjoyed today's episode. Looking forward to keeping the conversation going. Afrofutures is produced by WAER Public Radio with producers Joe Lee and Kevin Kloss. 